This is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 and 20 and 25. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God with all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands. I am giving you your son, your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and uh, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. And when your sons ask you in the future, what is this meaning of the de decrees, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt and with a long hand, or with a strong hand. Before, your eye, before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh, and on his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us and give us the land that we swore our to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow these statutes and to fear of the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours. If we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Thank you. Okay, I take that. I got you. All right. So as you see, we're in Deuteronomy. Um, what we're doing right now is uh, we're we're doing a series uh, called Partners in the Gospel. We are uh, talking about what it means to be uh, a member or a partner in the church. This is it's not pretty, but it, it, this is our partnership covenant. It is at the top left of the welcome table. Um, so in these series, we're doing one last week, this week, and then the next week, we're going to be talking about from the text what it means to be a member. And so our usual mem membership process is uh, we'll do a class, then you meet with one of the elders, um, and then you, we would affirm. Uh, but this is in place of the class, okay? So if you want to be a member, which we call partners, because members seem like you're just chilling. We got stuff to do. If you want to be a partner here, please come talk to me or, or Caleb or John, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get working on it, okay? So Deuteronomy 6. We're in Deuteronomy 6. 
Um, one of the, the interesting things when I think about the church, there's a lot of complaints and, uh, and, and like rightfully so. There's a lot of complaints about the church in general. There's a lot of frustration. And I think that the root of many of the problems in the, in the church is not looking to the biblical metaphors of what the church is. Right. And so if, if you if you don't look at the biblical metaphors, if you don't have a clear definition and understanding of what the church is, then you actually don't know what it should be living up to. Right. And that is, that, that could be a cause of frustration. So, for instance, that the church is is not a business. Right. It's not primarily a business. It's not 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 something that just puts out goods and services to consume. Although many people think that's how we treat the church. Or the church is, is not an event, right? Uh, it's not that we come on Sundays and get, you know, touchy-feelies and we're like, man, that was, that was an awesome event. No, that's, that's not a description of what the church is in the scriptures. One of the main descriptions of the church in the scriptures is that it's a family. It's one of the primary ways or metaphors that the scriptures use to describe what the church is. In fact, the church is supposed to be a family that holds up God's gospel and God's word to each other and holds each other accountable. Right? So if somebody in your family is tripping, what you going to do? Hey, you, you need to stop. You know, like, we, 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 we need to have family meeting, family intervention. Uh, some of y'all didn't have those. It's interesting. Um, I was, <laughs> I'm playing, y'all. Not really. But, <laughs> but you, know, something, you know, like, it, it's not just, because listen, listen, if we were just getting goods and services, you know, you go to the store, you ain't really worried about what the other people doing. Just don't mess with me. I don't mess with you. You get your stuff. I get my stuff. If you're worrying about an event, you know, it's like, well, I don't see you that much anyway. I hope you enjoyed it. But whatever you do in your life is your business. But if we're a family, then what we do actually concerns one another. And not only because we want to police people's actions, but because we love them. Yeah. We love our family. We want the best for them. And if that is true about the church, then we must care about our knowledge of God's word and the way that we conduct ourselves in this world. All right, let's pray. Let's ask God's help. Lord, would you help us from the scriptures to see what your church is supposed to be? Lord God, I pray that we would submit all of our ideas, all of our feelings, everything that we have, we submit it to your word so that you would produce good fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing is that the context is what? Context is? king. Okay, okay. Context is king. So a little context of what's going on in Deuteronomy. Uh, they, the, the people of Israel have been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Then God delivered them, and then they were tripping again. They were murmuring, and so then they had to wander around for 40 years. And, and, and at this point in Deuteronomy, they are about to go into the promised land. Okay, like so for 440 years, they've been hoping for this thing, and it's about to happen. All right, like, get your mind right. I know you've been waiting a long time. Now is the time. And the, this are, these are Moses' commands to the people of what they need to know in order to accurately enjoy God's blessing. So let's look at verse 1. It says, this command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping his statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. 
Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, when he's talking about these, these commands, he has just previously uh, recapped the Ten Commandments, okay? So he's talking about those particular commands and the commands that stem from it. And what's interesting is that I, was, I was actually talking to some people today. I was like, you know, we don't actually talk about the Ten Commandments that much. We really do that. And uh, it's really interesting. I've been reading this, uh, this work by Martin Luther about the Ten Commandments. And he said one of the reasons that we don't really think about the Ten Commandments is because we think we've progressed beyond them. We're like, oh, that's elementary stuff, man. We heard that. Let's go ahead and move on. But, but in reality, in your day-to-day life, right? And when, when the rubber meets the road, they're actually really helpful, yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, okay, we can talk about it. You're like, well, I don't go murder people. But y'all know what Jesus said about that. If you hate somebody in your heart, you murdered them. Now, we got a lot of murderers up in here. Let's be real. Okay? Uh, or, you know, it talks about not, not cover. That's one of those, those uh, old words. But that, that means jealousy. Don't be jealous about what people got. Be content with what you got. I don't know about you, but I be walking through. I mean, look, I be jealous of people's holy stuff. I be going to other churches like, oh, man, they got a big old church. Oh, wait, no, I'm covered. You know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like in, in the everyday life, when the rubber meets the road, these foundational commands of God actually intersect with our everyday life. And they actually are, are a mirror to us of if we are actually loving God. Because we so many times want to hyper-spiritualize God's commands. And we're going to be like, well, I had my quiet time today, and I, I don't know how spiritual you are. Maybe you memorized some scripture. I don't know. But then you, you go into work, and somebody say something to you that, that they, you don't like. And then you pop up out the mouth, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. But, you're like, but I, I prayed this morning. No, I was real spiritual. No, 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 no. These foundational commands about how we treat one another, that actually d- demonstrates if we have internalized these times with the Lord that we have. And so I have a really, really just general encouragement to you. Take some time and meditate on the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm embarrassed to, to tell you that like, when I was uh, planning this, I was like, have I memorized them? And then I was like, mm. you know, like, you know like, and I was like, nah, that's, that's wrong. You know? So I took some time this week to memorize because I want them before my face because I want to actually obey God, not in hypothetical land, not because I can say I'm spiritual, but in the every day of life. And these are very pertinent to that. Now, what's interesting is, remember, the context is the people of Israel are about to enter the promised land. They're, they're hoped for and longed for salvation, if you will. And what we learn from these verses is that we must have the character from God to sustain the blessings of God. I'm going to say it again. We must have the character from God to sustain the blessings of God. Because here's the deal. They could have walked, well, not they could have. We read the rest of the book, right? They walked up in the land, right, and messed it up, right? They, we waited so long for this. And then as soon as you turn around, they worshiping idols and treating people uh, incorrectly and, and causing injustice. And what they did is they lost the very thing that they were preparing to get. And what's interesting is that when I talk to people about their life, people are always wondering about what, what, what does God want me to do? 
Like what is the next thing or, or what is my destiny or, 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 or what, is, what, is, what is the job I'm supposed to have? And all those are pertinent questions. But, but what I found is that too many are spending too much time wondering what you will do versus the type of person that you are. Listen, if you are the type of person that God wants you to be, you don't have to be so concerned about what you're going to do in the future. However, if you spend so much time wondering about what about this, what about that, what about that, without actually working on your character, you might lose the very thing that you wanted in the first place. We have, it, uh, it's, I, I, there are people who have just such, I, I can't, I've had conversations that lasted a long time where they're like, what if I do this? What if I do this? Then I'll just be asking like basic questions like, what do you, like what's, your, what's your daily time with the Lord? Like, well, like, well let's, let's get that one. <laughs> Let's worry about that. Let's, let's worry about some foundational things that the Lord has given us so that we can work on our character. And here's the deal. When, when, the, when the destiny or the calling comes, you won't be caught off guard because you didn't done some work with the Lord so that your character can sustain what he wants to give you. What we learn is, look, look, if we focus so much on the future thing, the future hope, whatever it may be, without actually obeying the commands... We are in danger of losing that blessing that we want in the first place. We also learned that, that the goal of the Ten Commandments, the goal of all of the law, is, is their good. It was for their good. He's like, look, I'm about, to, I'm about to give you a land that, that you're going to have long life and milk and honey. Look, I know you got to do some contextual stuff, but I would like both of those things too, right? I mean, like, I like milk and honey. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, oh, that sounds good. And here's the deal. Without the proper character, they would forfeit the ability to enjoy what God had promised. So we saw, see, idolatry that's producing strife and injustice. And here's the thing about sin. When we only think about sin as actions, we don't understand that, that sin does not only warrant punishment, but it, it does something to our character. So, so when, when I walk in sin, the, the concern isn't only, oh man, the consequences are coming. The concern is I am warping the kind of person that I am. So that when, like when I walk in sin, I, like the, my, my soul, the, the, the things that I, I love, the desires, the way that I treat other people. Because like, like, a lot of times we try to isolate sin. Like, well, this part of my life is good, but I just do this one thing. But we don't understand that when we sin, it's not only about future consequences. It's about that our very character is conformed to the image that we do. This is the, listen, that, this is why the gospel is so important. The, the, the gospel does not only address your actions or your consequences. The gospel addresses your very character because sin has warped us to a degree that we need something called a new birth. So it's not just about something that you did or something that's coming to you. God's saying, listen, I'm giving you these commands from the scriptures so that you would not be warped into something that is, that is not looking like my image. Now, listen, we have to do some, some, some hermeneutics. We have to do some interpretation. Look, look, we see that the people of Israel, they were promised long life and milk and honey. Like I said, I like milk and honey. That's cool. But the new covenant promises eternal life both here and forever. See, when we think about eternal life, we kind of go to, to quantity, right? We're like, it's going to last forever. And that is true. 
But I want you to understand that, that, that when Jesus is talking about eternal life, like when he defines it in John 17, 3, when he defines it, he says, eternal life is to know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Meaning this, that eternal life is not only about living forever. Eternal life is about a particular quality of life. And Jesus, through his gospel, is offering this eternal life to you now, which means that that I can give you joy and peace and justice and righteousness. This quality of life, you can have it now through faith in Jesus. So listen very carefully. We can affect our experience of God's blessings by our obedience or disobedience. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me be clear. Our salvation is secure in Christ. Nothing's going to change that. But your day-to-day is very much influenced by what you do. Yeah? And so you can be like, I, I, you know, I have conversations with people. They'll be like, man, I, I'm not happy. I don't feel this joy. And then, then okay, let's, let's analyze the life. What, what, are, what, are you, what are you thinking about? What are the things that you're doing? And they're like, well, I know I shouldn't, but da 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 I'm like, listen, listen, I'm not telling you that your eternity is at risk, but your ability to experience God's blessings now. Like, like if, if you are a Christian, you, you know what it is to be like stuck in some sin. And your relationship with God is really like, oh, man, I did the thing. And you be afraid to go to prayer. You feel in all kind of ways about going to church because you know what. Listen, you know it affects the quality of your life. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you these things to obey so that you can enjoy what I am going to give you. <laughs> so living in sin is, is sadness, it's distress, it's chaos. But when, when we submit to God, there is love and joy and righteousness and peace. And so the, the question about how we live has to progress from what is acceptable to what is best. Okay, well, will he be? No, no, no. What is, like, how can I live and lean into God's will so that I experience all that he wants me to experience? And then he goes on and and he talks about how the law has to be handed down to, to the children and the grandchildren. Like, what we have learned needs to be handed down to those who follow us. Now, listen, for those who, without kids, before you tune out, okay? Listen, listen, (laughs) we need to have a long-term generational outlook on our lives. And so even even as I consider um, the the people that I know and the problems that exist within this neighborhood, if I think that tomorrow everything is going to be fixed, I'm going to be real frustrated, okay? But if I have a long-term view, like I'm going to hand down God's word, I'm going to train them to hand down God's word, and I'm going to expect God's word to do change. Maybe I won't see the fullness of that change, but I'm handing down something that has uh, this lasting effect on the generations to come. Beloved, when we live our life, we're not just thinking about our life or our good. We're thinking about our children, our children's children. And even what about the church when we die? Listen, we don't have unlimited time here. What are we handing down? He goes on to say in verse 4 that we should love God with everything that we have. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. 
Now, that's kind of a confusing verse, that first one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You're like, what, is, what does that mean? Listen, what he's saying is, sometimes I wish translators would kind of put Yahweh in there. Because sometimes Lord is Yahweh, and sometimes Lord is Adonai, and it gets a little confusing. So if I were to read it with that, it says, Yahweh is our God. <laughs> it's not like random God. No, no. The one that just delivered us, the one that revealed himself to Moses, the one that just defeated Pharaoh, that one. Not the other one, this one. This is our God, and he alone. There's no other God. There's no other power. There's no other thing which we give our allegiance to. There is no God like him. And we see this, this repeated, actually, in the New Testament. We worship God the Father. The, the, the God who revealed himself as Yahweh to Moses is the same God who was the Father of Christ Jesus. And in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. The creator and redeemer God is revealed through the Father and the Son. What's interesting is we see this thing called progressive revelation. That, that the, the understanding of who God is, it, it, it gets more and more and more robust. Yeah? So you learn something about God in the Exodus story, right? How he sees people suffering, how, he, how, he, how he, he, he hears the groanings of people. But then when Christ comes, you see that same God put on human flesh and demonstrate to us exactly what that God is like. And when we see Christ Jesus through the lens of the Spirit, we have this true and wonderful picture of our God. And what he's saying is when we see this true picture of our God, that all of our allegiance must go to him. And Jesus reaffirmed this. Matthew 22, 38 and 30, uh, 37, 38. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. In other words, he's saying all of life should be an expression of love to God. Now, here's the deal. If we're honest, all of our life is not that. <laughs> okay, so how, what do we do? How do we, how do we remedy that? Like, I, you know, it's like me going to you and be like, love God more. And you're like, ah. You know, like, I want to. <laughs> you know, like, so like, what, what is, how, how can we stir this? What we see in verse 6 is that the word of God is the means through which our love for God is stirred. Look at verse 6. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So I can imagine the people of Israel hearing that command, love God with everything. I'm like, uh, yeah. And then how? The, word, the words I'm just telling you today, I want you to keep thinking about them. See, what he's encouraging at first is personal meditation. That we have to have God's word continually before us. Here's the thing about, about people. You meditate on stuff even anyway. Like you're never like having blank thoughts. It's like if I said think about nothing, you're like, I don't know how to do that. It's, it's impossible. You can't think about nothing. All right. So, so God created your brain to think about something. 
and he created your brain to think about him. And he created your brain to think about him through the means of the, the Bible, the scriptures. And so we have to put the scriptures continually before us. There's, there's a scene that like, like I, I see all the time. When I'm walking down the street, I'll see somebody with headphones in, right? The guy, the guy has headphones in and his lips just moving. And, I, and I'm just like, man, he is meditating on that song real hard. He is. I, I, I used to, there's a guy I used to disciple when I lived in Kentucky, and, and I, we would get in the car, and I'm like, man, show me, show me the music you'd be listening to. And so we put it on the radio, we listened to a song, and I stopped. I'm like, what do you think that music is telling you? Now, he hate that question. <laughs> well, it's just, a, no, it's not just a song. You sitting there meditating on it. You knew every word of the song. You don't think that has any effect on your heart? See, the things that we intake, the things that we put in our ears and before our eyes, those are the very things that we meditate on. And they have the power to shape us for good or for bad. See, the world catechizes us. It teaches us. And listen, here's the deal. We, we see this relationship. Moses said, love the Lord your God. How? Meditate on this. So that the fact of the matter is that things that you put in front of your eyes, the things that you put in your ear, it's not just, just background noise. It actually forms what you love. It forms what you want. So you, so, so you, can't, just, you can't just be letting anything in front of your face because it, it, it always is going to have an effect. And so we might, since we understand this dynamic, we might as well say, well, I need to put God's word in front of me. What's interesting is it's not like when we think about meditation, I think sometimes we're really intimidated. That is really difficult. But I, I learned this from Caleb at Welcome Leadership Development. He'd be having kids memorizing scriptures real quick. <laughs> And he uses a little whiteboard, and he erases one word, and he says, say the verse again. Then he erases another word, say the whole verse again. I'm like, well, dog, it's not that hard to memorize Scripture. I need, I need to stop being so intimidated. But here's the deal. We have to put the energy and the work into it. So he says, you have to put God's Word in front of you. And he also says in verse 7, repeat them to your children. So there is actually this uh, expectation that parents are discipling their kids. And when I say parents are discipling their kids, sometimes you're like, what does that mean? I, I like to keep stuff simple. Like when I say go disciple people, what I say, eat, read, pray. All right? I got another one. You ready? Read, sing, pray. That's what you do with your kids. All right? You read, read something of the text. I don't care if it's the Jesus story or Bible, it's a psalm, whatever. Read something about Jesus. Sing something to Jesus and pray to Jesus. And you do that over and over and over again. And here's the deal. You're like, well, does it work? Well, does the thing you put in your face change you? Yes. Yes. And so, like, even with, with my own kids, like, they're, they're, they're young. You know, they're, my oldest is seven. But, but even as, a, it, like, my three-year-old has memorized the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And we, we just, not because I said memorize it. It's because we say it every night. And then, then, then when we're saying and we're looking at the word, as they get older, they begin to ask questions. What, what does that mean? How, how does that look like in life? And then, and then we sing together. And then, then we pray together. It's so simple. It doesn't even take that much time. But I see God's word at work in them. Because his word is powerful. 
And then he goes on to say, listen, listen, not only talk about it to your kids, he's like, he's like, I want you to be annoying with it. Talk about it when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you just, just be obnoxious with us. <laughs> talk about it all the time. Listen, that means that we need to not be afraid of spiritual conversation with others. We get, we, I, I feel, I, I sense that like, how do I start it? Like, what do I say? I don't know how to get in there. Even among church people, unless it's like, we're having Bible study right now. I'm like, like, when you go over to their house, do you talk about Jesus? Right? Now, how do you do that? Now, I, I like to make things simple, all right? Sometimes you just need to develop a question that you ask people. Now, this question is asked people in high school. It is not like the most awesome question. I would just say, how are you and Jesus doing? I would always get in a conversation about Jesus. <laughs> always. And it wasn't like, y'all heard the question. It's not a good question. Like, <laughs> it could have been more, uh, like, like, profound. But, like, listen, like, we need to, to come ready to speak about Christ and to share transparently about what he is doing in our lives. And then he gets real practical. He says, you need constant reminders. He put it on your forehead. <laughs> I wish I could see that. Write them on the doorposts of your house. You know, we got sticky notes for that, right? I mean, like, like I'm joking, but I'm not. You know, like, like when, I, when I worked in an office, I, I would put, I would write some scriptures on some sticky notes and put it on my computer because I needed God's word in front of my face. What's more interesting is that we have the advantages of media. There is no other time in the history of the earth that you could put God's word in your face so easily. It's ridiculous. You can listen to scripture on the car, uh, in a car. You, you, can, uh, you can watch stuff about scripture. You can set reminders of, on your phone. I know this is very practical, but here's the deal. If God's word is transformative, if we believe that is true, then we will get practical about putting it in front of our face. So we do whatever. We, like I got little notifications. Oh, I, oh, scripture. I, listen, just, just that's why when we have the, the, the Bible reading plan, I'm like, I don't even want you to have to think about it. Just click on the thing. That's the scripture for today. Just put it in front of your face because it is powerful. And then when you go to verse 20, we, it, it, we, we get this sense that our lives should prompt holy questions from others. <laughs> it says, when your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees, statutes, ordinances that the Lord your God has commanded you? I tell him, excuse me, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and all his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us and give us the land he swore to our ancestors. What, what this points out is that a life of obedience is obvious. Now listen, I'm imagining in a scenario, because uh, I don't even have to imagine it. I, I know what it's like. Like when I'm sitting in the morning with coffee and my Bible open, my seven-year-old goes, what are you doing? <laughs> right? I mean, look, what, why are you doing that? What does it mean? So like, if, look, if we are living lives that are transformed by the Lord, it is going to prompt questions. Why are you doing that? What, why is your life different? Like, why, why do you do that thing or say things in this way? And our kids and those younger in the faith will look at our lives more closely than our doctrine. 
they will look at our lives more closely than what we say is right. And they will ask themselves, does it match? You know, I was reading this, this study the other day, and it was, it was like, because if you read statistics, as kids grow up in the church, there is a high percentage that are leaving. This is, this is a, it's an issue. And so the study was trying to answer the question, why? What is going on? And it says that the kids that retain the faith are the ones in which they saw their parents practice the faith. There is, there is this mindset that, like, if I get my kid in the church, then that's, that's it. And they're saying that that actually isn't the, the hinge point. The hinge point is when they see mommy and daddy praying and worshiping and asking for forgiveness and loving one another and them participating in church. That's why we do even like, I'm sure some of y'all are like kind of annoyed when we're worshiping and kids are being loud. Why are they in here? I want the kids to see their adults worshiping. I don't want to just tell them about it. I'm like, no, no, no. We worship. Look at what we do. We want you to do it as well. And the life of obedience, it founds, finds its foundation in the story of redemption. So when, when the, the Old Testament kid's like, Mommy, Daddy, why are you obeying the law? What you doing? He says, you were supposed to go, well, look at the Exodus. Look at how God delivered us from Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt. And he had this miraculous deliverance. Now listen, we have this new Exodus this new foundation story. And so when kids or others say, why are you acting like that? We say, no, listen, we were slaves to sin and Satan. It had us bound. It had us bound, and we were going to face the consequences of that. Yet there was a miraculous deliverance that the word of God became flesh, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died a sacrificial death, and that he rose from the dead, and he ascended ascended into heaven, and is sitting here waiting to forgive us and to change us. Why do you live like that? Because he set me free. And then you can get get even more specific. Talk about how, how, what what did the Lord do in your life? How did he call you out of death? How, How has he shown his faithfulness to you over and over and over again? Listen, people, people like to dispute facts, but they don't like to dispute narrative. They do. Like, I don't believe that. They'll be like, well, let me tell you my story. They're like, well... <laughs> it is what it is. You know, like, what I'm be like, no, you know, like... There's such power in telling the story of what Christ has done for us. <laughs> and then we live in obedience to God's commands because of what God has done. Verse 24, <laughs> the Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our, our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we, care, if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So I just I got a simple question for you. The question is this. Did they obey the commands before they were delivered? No. <laughs> no. Was their deliverance contingent on them obeying the commands? No. They just got delivered. <laughs> and so, so the obedience isn't to, in order to earn the deliverance. The deliverance has already happened. We're not obeying God so that he will die on a cross. No, he's done that already. 
The deliverance has happened already. But, but we understand that the God who set us free from sin, his commands are good. If he is good enough to set us free from, from sin, then we can just say, well, I bet the things he would tell me to do is probably a good idea. We do not obey to earn salvation, but we obey to live joyfully. Obedience does not affect our status, but it does our experience. And so again, I want you to see this relationship between the story of redemption, which is the gospel, and our conduct. And I want you to, if, if, this would be really good, interesting. I want you to go to the epistles sometime, we got some time, and I want you to see how the apostles address sin. I'll give you an example. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he's addressing the sin of sexual morality. And he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. What is he talking about there? He's talking about a story of redemption. No, remember what happened. Do you remember? You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's very interesting. He didn't say, get it right, or you ain't going to heaven. That's not what he said. He says, no, I want you to remember what Christ has done. Or another example, like, like we say this redemption is the root of obedience. So, so if I'm dealing with jealousy and I'm feeling like God hasn't given me my just due in life, we remember what, what it says in Romans 8. It says, if God would not spare his own son, will he not freely give you everything? What is that rooted in? It's rooted in the story of redemption. Listen, all of our sins are a failure to cherish and trust the God who has redeemed us. And so when we're struggling with sin, when we're fighting against sin, the tool isn't to, like, you better, you better shape up because he's going to get mad. No, the tool is, no, think back. What, what has he done? Has he not shown he's been faithful? Has he not shown that he plans the best for you? Has he not demonstrated his power through his shed blood and his resurrected body? And so when we think about um, partnership, we think about membership, uh, what we have in our, our, our membership covenant is that, that we are going to raise our families in the gospel. This is the commands of Scripture. So as a community, we desire to help one another in this process by bearing one another's burdens, sharing counsel and wisdom in parenting, and serving and helping in ministries which assist raising our kids in the gospel. I feel like sometimes we have the same attitude as the disciples in the sense of Jesus is going around doing his ministry, and the little kids come up, and they're like, no, 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 Jesus. We have important things to do. What does Jesus say? No, no. Let them come to me. <laughs> Let them come. So like, that's not the more important thing. Jesus is saying, I care about children. And I want the church, whether you have a child or not, I want the church to care about children. This is the important ministry. And so we're not just putting kids back there for babysitting. That's not where, like, we want them to know the gospel. Why? Because God's word is powerful. And what's even more is that, again, we got this foundational understanding as the church, as family. Here's the thing. Paul, from what we know, did not have kids, but he sure called himself a father. Yeah? He's like, I fathered you in the gospel. 
Listen, the church is made up of spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual sisters and brothers. And listen, we take responsibility for each other. We care for one another. We want the church to be a family that is centered on the word of God. Another thing we want our members to do, we want to live in gracious accountability. So when our lives stray from the truth, or if we continue the practice of unrepentant sin, we will offer gracious accountability and discipline in one another. The goal is love, reconciliation, and repentance so that the gospel is seen and God is honored. So listen, if someone in the church in love addresses you about an action, you don't need to think they mad at you. That's actually, they are demonstrating love to you. If we family and you are doing something that is unhelpful, that I show that we're family by addressing it. And then I point back to the truths of the gospel. No, 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 no. Jesus has, has died and resurrected, not for you to live like that. That's, that's not the eternal life, this quality of life that he wants you to have. He wants something better. So beloved, we want to be a community that witnesses to the beauty and the glory of the gospel by how we love our kids and serve them and disciple them and how we hold one another accountable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. And Lord, I pray that you would impress upon us how powerful your word is so that we would do whatever practical thing that we need to do to get your word in front of our face and in our ears. And we trust you that by the power of the Spirit, your word does not return void. It accomplishes what it sets out to do. And so we ask that you would accomplish holiness and righteousness and love and care and compassion in us through your word. And would you help us to care for one another? That when one is walking towards danger, that, that we would not be so afraid to speak in love and say, no, not that way. There is a better way. Lord, help us to love each other, even to the point where it costs. In Jesus' name, amen.